You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Day, Semba to you all. What a week it's been. Voiced up, I get an email. Oh, excuse me, I'm going to pop out there for a minute. I received an email from a kindly gentleman by the name of Robbie Palenko. Now, far bit from me to butter my own crumpet, but such was Robbie's outpouring of enthusiasm regarding a universe of horrors, and so uplifting did I find his eloquent email that I have decided to bestow upon him a gift. Robbie, as a token of my gratitude, please accept this musical tribute. It's your name, sung repeatedly over La Cucaracha. Robbie Palanco, Robbie Palanco. Robbie Palanco, Robbie Palanco. Robbie Palanco, Robbie Palanco. Robbie Palanco, Robbie Palanco. La Cucaracha literally translates to the cockroach, which was actually my nickname at school, partly because my surname is Roach, and partly because, well, there was no other part. Everyone I went to school with was an idiot. I had another email from Mark Stott from Sydney, who's asked me if he can have a you-have-failed monk to cheer him up on his commute. Mark, I'm glad to oblige you on one condition. I'll give you a countdown and then you must lock eyes with a fellow commuter and repeat Lugosi's words with him. You have to give it full Lugosi to big snarly eyebrows and uh, and drug-crazed eyes. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. You have failed, monk. As a reward, Mark... Have six Canterburys in a row. Canterbury, 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 Canterbury. Good old Mark Stott from Sydney, currently being beaten by several transport policemen. I wonder if Mark Stott would work as a cucaracha. Mark Stott, Mark Stott. No, not really. And then, to top things off for this week, this happens at the 2014 Good Podcasts Awards. And now we come to the final award of the night, which is the Good Podcasts Special Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Podcasting. The recipient of this award should be held up as a benchmark for podcasters, a high watermark for the medium. On the regular episodes, the host is entertaining, welcoming, and the content is funny and engaging. But on the special documentary episodes, this podcast demonstrates a depth of research and a quality of presentation and production that easily rivals professional broadcasters. Ladies and gentlemen, the award goes to Adam Roche for the magnificent Attaboy Clarence podcast. Attaboy Clarence. Happy episode 18 to you all. We're 18. 
this podcast can finally appear in pornographic films and drink alcohol. At least in the UK it can, anyway. Honestly, up until now, this podcast has been a completely alcohol-free zone. Somewhere my wife is laughing heartily. It's a great review. I couldn't put it better myself. In fact, I didn't put it better myself. This famously was my attempt at a review. Walked past the poster for Canterbury. Canterbury! Canterbury. Uh, and then all of a sudden, here's a lady asking you, uh, First class to Brighton. First class to Brighton, he says, while his eyes are closed and he's swaying next to the ticket office. Did you say first class to Brighton, sir? First class to Brighton. Oh, that'll be two and six. You know, and he's, uh, it's just brilliant. Uh, you know, no one notices. <laughs> no one notices that he's bombed. He's been bombed. <laughs> he manages to get to Brighton. <laughs> he strangles two people. <laughs> I love this film so much. Uh, that review is the reason that, from time to time, strangers will stop me in the street and strike me. Pepsi-Cola refreshes without filling. Why? Because it's truly light. Charlie, you're forgetting something. Wait, Kay, there's more. Yeah, shut up, Kay. Yes, ice-cold Pepsi is the delicious refreshment that goes great at a picnic or a party. But, Charlie... And Shush, Kay. Pepsi goes fast. People like it, so keep plenty handy. There. Oh, you did fine, except for one thing. Well, I mentioned lightness and how Pepsi refreshes and how fast it goes. Yeah, Kay, he did really well. He left out Pepsi sociability. You know, the be sociable song. But, Kay, I can't sing. Yeah, Kay, give Charlie a break. He read his lines. What more do you want from Charlie, Kay? I can. Listen. Be sociable, look smart, keep up to date with Pepsi. Drink light, refreshing Pepsi. Stay young and fair and debonair. Be sociable, have a Pepsi. You're a show-off, Kay. Well, at least I can say this. Pick up an extra carton of Pepsi today. Charlie wins, Kay. Please do. You just had to have the last word, didn't you, Kay? Well, what an honour. First of all, can I just say how grateful I am for the constant support that Good Podcasts has given to Attaboy Clarence over the past year. Independent podcasters like myself need voices such as yours to make voices such as mine heard among other voices such as everyone else's voices. Thank you so much for the award. I'm genuinely shocked at how many people have taken the show to their hearts. I honestly didn't expect anyone other than weird yet devastatingly handsome hermits like myself to show any kind of interest in it. I shall treasure this award, along with the cheque, which I will either spend on paying off my mortgage or buying my fellow podcasters a Galahad or seven. I'd just like to thank my wife, 
Hannah, my kids, Molly, Matilda and Maxim, my manager, Don King, the French Connection Baguette Bar in my village, uh, barbecue beef flavoured hula hoops, the makers of Doom Bar, the Ramsbury Brewery, God, Denim Clothing, Plex Media Server and the many, many wonderful creative, endlessly talented and now sadly disappeared generation of people that existed in Movieland at the beginning of the 20th century, without whom I wouldn't be here today. A hearty congratulations to Adam. I think even that acceptance speech alone shows you why he's a deserved winner. <laughs> Absolutely honoured to have been a recipient. The entire show is an immaculate production and features awards for all sorts of shows, including, I must just mention, a special award for services to fellow podcasters, which went to the eternally superb History of Misunderstanding podcast. Thoroughly deserved. Run for your subscribe buttons and hit them with a violent fervour. Good podcasts and a history of misunderstanding flying the flag higher than anyone else for this planet's podcasters. So make sure you salute them both by subscribing and following. It's a great way of making sure you go to heaven. Get wild root cream of Charlie It keeps your hair in trim You see it's non-alcoholic Charlie It's made with Seeing as how it's Christmas soon, and seeing as how my latest special was a universe of horrors. I've got the best competition in town. I have purchased for one lucky winner the Universal Monsters Essential Collection on Blu-ray. Signed by no one, sealed and delivered to one lucky winner. So the movies in this box set include Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Phantom of the Opera, and the 2D and 3D versions of The Creature from the Black Lagoon, as well as a whole host of extras, documentaries, and trailers. Basically, this is the best it gets when it comes to classic horror box sets. It's region-free, so you can enter from anywhere in the world, and all in stunning high definition. So to find out how to enter, keep listening. It struck me the other day, while I was watching a Sherlock Holmes movie, how much I love the articulate pub landlords in old movies. You know the type, they always have an apron, and a waistcoat, and a huge moustache, and slicked down hair, and they're always polishing a beer glass with a big white towel, and they're always ridiculously verbose. So you have a bar full of cockneys, and one of them will nudge his pals with his elbow and say something like, Here, Alfie, how many blocks of lard does it take to make an haircut like that? And Alfie, the pub landlord, will say, Those is what ain't got no air. He's hardly in a position to be despising and disparaging the likes of those is what he's got here. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Winston gives you real places for rich tobacco. 
back of flavor. Winston's easy drawing through. The filter lets the flavor through. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Everybody, Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Throw your hands in the air. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Ah, kind of makes me want to start smoking again. You always heard the one you love. I don't know about you, but I've always been a fan of the acidic intellectual with a withering wit. Well, back in the wilds of the early part of the 20th century, there were a few floating around. You had Noel Coward who said, you know, I like long walks, especially when they're taken by people who annoy me. You had Oscar Wilde who just scraped into the 20th century. He died in October of 1900 who said, I'm so clever that sometimes I don't understand a single word of what I'm saying. Robert Benchley, the humorist and father of Jaws author Peter Benchley, who came out of a hotel once and asked the man in uniform to get him a taxi. The man replied, I'm not a doorman, I happen to be a rear admiral in the United States Navy. To which Benchley shot back. All right, then, get me a battleship. Winston Churchill, of course, perhaps the master of the stinging reply. He was accosted by Lady Astor at a dinner party, who told him, Winston, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. It's because... To which Churchill replied, Nancy, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. On screen, you had a number of these characters, most notably George Sanders in pretty much everything he did. He was always the wry, grinning comeback guy with a voice like Treacle in films such as uh, Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent and All About Eve. During the 40s, though, there was only one man to go to if you wanted a withering put down. And that man was Clifton Webb. He began life as a Broadway star and excelled, particularly in song and dance shows. But he really hit big when he starred in stage productions of The Importance of Being Earnest and Blithe Spirit, the latter of which was written by his close friend Noel Coward. Well, in 1944, he was plucked from the stage and thrust onto screens by Otto Preminger, who fought tooth and nail to cast him in his noir thriller Laura against the objections of 20th century boss Daryl F. Zanuck, who wanted an established screen star. Laura tells the story of New York detective Mark McPherson, played by Dana Andrews, who's called in to investigate the grisly murder of Laura Hunt, a beautiful advertising executive played by Jean Tierney, who one night answers the door only to be shot by a mysterious assailant. As McPherson begins to untangle the story of Laura's life, he finds himself drawn into her circle of friends and admirers, including her worthless fiancé, Shelby Carpenter, played by Vincent Price, her rival Anne Treadwell, played by Judith Anderson, and her mentor, the charismatic but poisonous Waldo Lidecker, played by Clifton Webb. In my case, self-absorption is completely justified. I have never discovered any other subject quite so worthy of my attention. But you write about people with such real understanding and sentiment. That's what makes your column so good. The sentiment comes easily at 50 cents a word. Well, if that's the way you really feel, you must be very lonely. Will you kindly continue this character analysis elsewhere? You begin to bore me. 
As Macpherson delves deeper, he finds himself falling in love with the image of the murdered woman. But just when it seems as though Macpherson has gotten a grip on the case, a figure emerges that twists the entire riddle around. I don't need to tell you what a brilliant film Laura is. It's already a certified classic of mystery cinema and peopled with an absolutely dazzling cast. You have Vincent Price as the worthless fop, Judith Anderson, Mrs. Danvers herself, as the hawkeye love rival, the goddess, that is Jean Tierney, at her most staggeringly beautiful, as the tragic Laura, who's the bright candle struggling to stay alight amongst the dark, chilly draft. Around her. Dana Andrews, who's admittedly hard to love but surprisingly easy to root for as the hard boiled, no nonsense detective who falls in love with Laura's portrait. And of course, that star making turn by Clifton Webb, who waltzes onto the screen with a quill full of poisonous quotes, verbally body slamming everyone he gazes down at. I don't use a pen. I write with a goose quill dipped in venom. If you come a little bit closer, my boy. I can just crack your skull with my stick. I'm not kind, I'm vicious. It's the secret of my charm. Laura, dear, I cannot stand these morons any longer. If you don't come with me this instant, I shall run amok. Nice little place you have here, Mr. Lidecker. It's lavish, but I call it home. It's an auto-premature film, which means that it's a very chilly affair, but very witty and definitely varnished with superior dialogue, but it suits the mystery well. Half the joy is in watching McPherson ascend into this pit of high-class vipers and not give a solitary hoot that they all look down on him and treat him like a brainless oaf. And of course, it contains one of cinema's great twists, which comes halfway through and completely turns the film on its head. An absolutely stunning film that will make even the hardest of hearts fall in love with the Golden Age's mystery thrillers. If you haven't seen it, then you are denying yourself a true cinematic pleasure. And if you have seen it, then trust me, it's been too long since you saw it last. In one fell swoop, Clifton Webb became Hollywood's go-to withering wit. He earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor, but lost to Barry Fitzgerald for the vastly inferior Going My Way. And throughout the rest of the 40s, turned in some fantastic performances in films such as The Razor's Edge and The Dark Corner. But in 1948, he again struck gold when he accepted a role in this smash hit comedy, Sitting Pretty. This saw Robert Young and Maureen O'Hara as Harry and Tacey King, a young couple with three rowdy boys and a disobedient dog, who've exhausted the town's supply of babysitters and are struggling to find anyone to help around the house. Hello, is this Mrs. Phillips? <laughs> Good evening, this is Mr. King. Could I talk to Mabel, please? There you see, she's in. Oh, Mabel! Yes, Mother? Mr. King on the phone. I guess he wants you to sit with his kids. Not me. Not while I'm conscious. Not those kids. Tell him I dropped dead. Hello? Yes, I heard Mrs. Phillips. She just dropped dead. Just as the family's about to reach breaking point, Tacey places an advertisement for a nanny, and it's answered by Lynn Belvedere, who sounds too good to be true. And for what? A babysitter, darling, a resident babysitter. Oh, you're crazy. I knew you'd say that. That's why I didn't tell you. 
Listen to what I put in. Somewhere there must be a struggling young person who would welcome a delightful room, private bath, full board, in exchange for sitting with three adorable children evenings and some light housework. Congenial, cultured atmosphere. Right fully, box 2301. Aren't you stretching things a bit, calling our three adorable? Well, anyway, it seems to have <laughs> snared her. This is her answer. Dear sir or madam, if not too late, I wish to apply for the position you advertised. I am engaged in a form of work which makes me indifferent to my surroundings, providing I have a place in which I can find solitude. I have studied psychology and am perfectly competent to handle children of all ages with efficiency and dispatch. Yours sincerely, Lynn Belvedere. Don't you think she sounds marvelous? However, it soon transpires that she is indeed a he, and not just any he, but a waspish, arrogant, self-proclaimed genius of a he. Uh, this is quite a shock, you see. Well, we weren't expecting him. <laughs> well, I naturally thought you were a woman. <laughs> you know. Your advertisement, of which I have a copy here, made no mention of sex. Possibly not, but it was obviously implied. I advertise for someone to help with the housework and sit with my children. Mrs. King, I happen to dislike all children intensely, but I assure you that I can readily attend to their necessary, though unpleasant wants. For my work, I require an atmosphere of Spartan simplicity. And may I ask what your profession is? Certainly. I am a genius. The problem for the King household and their new guest is that they live on Hummingbird Hill, which is crawling with gossips who are all determined to make trouble for the family. This was based on a book called Belvedere by Gwen Davenport, and it's quite simply one of the funniest comedies of the 40s. It wasn't just a hit when it came out. It was an absolute sensation and firmly cemented Clifton Webb as one of Hollywood's most popular character actors. It spawned two sequels, Mr. Belvedere Goes to College with Shirley Temple and Mr. Belvedere Rings the Bell, which are both utterly fantastic too. The films, in fact, proved so influential that it inspired a Mr. Belvedere television series during the 1980s. It all began with Sitting Pretty, though, which earned Clifton Webb a Best Actor nomination at the Academy Awards. In 1950, he was rated the seventh most popular star at the box office by cinema exhibitors. His dialogue with the lowly creatures around him in Sitting Pretty is just hilarious. Especially his constant references to his achievements in life. If he's to be believed, then he's single-handedly responsible for every piece of progress made by the human race in the 20th century. Anyway, see for yourself, as it was adapted for the Lux Radio Theatre in 1949 with original stars Robert Young, Maureen O'Hara, and of course... Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Flakes, bring you the Lux Radio Theater. Proudly presenting Photoplay Magazine's gold medal award picture, Sitting Pretty, starring Robert Young, Maureen O'Hara, and Clifton Webb. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. This is the big night of the season in the Lux Radio Theater, because tonight we present the picture that you, the moviegoers of America, have chosen as the one you liked best in 1948. It's that delightful comedy, Sitting Pretty, selected by you in a nationwide poll for Photoplay magazine. Our stars are Marina O'Hara, Clifton Webb, and Robert Young. The original cast... 
which made the picture a hit for 20th Century Fox. After tonight's performance, Sitting Pretty will receive Photoplay Magazine's coveted gold medal award, one of Hollywood's highest honors. We had an idea some time ago that Sitting Pretty might win this award because every male has brought requests for it. These letters told us what you thought of Lux Flakes, too. And I'm sure that if we could take a poll of housewives, their gold medal award would go to Lux Flakes. Here's the curtain going up for Act One of Sitting Pretty, starring Clifton Webb as Lynn Belvedere, Robert Young as Harry, and Maureen O'Hara as Tacey. Hummingbird Hill is a typical suburban community where everybody knows a little more than just a little about everybody else. For example, the neighbors all know that the Harry King's housekeeper simply up and quit today, leaving that nice Mrs. King with that big house, those three noisy children, and that terrible dog to take care of all by herself. Yes, the news went through the community like a flash, chiefly because of Clarence Appleton. Mr. Appleton lives on the corner and has very little to do except grow iris and mind other people's business. Hello, Mr. Appleton. What are you doing with that feather? I am endeavoring to obtain some pollen from these iris. But why are you taking our flowers with the feather? I am not tickling, young man. I am gathering. I have your mother's permission, so just run along and don't bother me. We won't bother you. Just tell us what you're doing. Have you boys ever watched a bumblebee flitting from flower to flower? Sure. Well, I'm doing just what the bumblebee does. Wow. Can you sting, too? Oh, run away and play. No, no, wait. Just a minute. Uh, your housekeeper left today, didn't she? She sure did. You should have heard her, too. Indeed. Uh, tell me, what did she say? Hey, Larry, here comes Paul. in the driveway. I guess I did, Pop. Sorry. How many times do I have to tell you kids never to do that? Did Somebody's you lose la- another case in court today? No, I didn't lose another case in court today. I guess it's the heat. And Mrs. Maypole quitting. Some housekeeper. She sure was a drip, Pop. Maybe you've got something there. Well, how are you, fellas? Oh, fine. What's wrong with Roddy? What's he crying for this time? Oh, he's just crying, Pop. You know, Roddy, he always... Oh, get off! Henry, get down! Oh, do something! Pull him off of me! Can't you kids train that big ox not to jump on people? He's just glad to see you, Pop. Some watchdog. He's glad to see everybody. Now, look here, Henry. Henry, leave that child alone! Henry, come back, Henry! Come on, Murray, we better get Henry! (sighs) Harry. Hi. Hello, honey. Bad day, huh? I'm sorry about Mrs. Maypole. Oh, Harry, she knew we had three children and a dog when she took the job. Now, don't worry, honey. You'll find somebody else. Say, isn't that Clarence Appleton in the garden? What the devil's he doing? Oh, that? Well, it seems that we have a very healthy male iris, and he asked if he could have some pollen so he could breed one of his own. You don't say. Well, at least we should get our choice of the litter. Oh, Harry, please. Now, about Mrs. Maypole. Well, I've decided that we just can't afford a regular housekeeper anyway, unless, of course, you got that raise. Well, no, not yet. But being invited to the boss's house for dinner is a hopeful sign. Who'd you get for a sitter tonight? I didn't, Harry. You didn't, but we're due there in an hour. Oh, I phoned at least 15 of the little darlings. They're all tied up, sitting. 
Oh, it's no use, Harry. Just phone Mr. Hammond and tell him that we can't come. Okay, Tacey. He'll probably fire me, but okay. Sometimes I wish he would fire you. The sooner you stop letting Mr. Hammond kick you around Look, my and... love, for the last time, there's more to starting a law practice than just hanging out a shingle. You have to make contacts, and the only way you can do that is with an old established outfit. You know I'm right, don't you? Well, I know you're a lot brighter than Mr. Hammond thinks you are. Thank you. Now, what are we going to do about a sitter? I mean, for the future. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to advertise. I'm going to put an ad in the paper for a, well, a, a resident sitter. What? A resident babysitter. Someone who can live in the spare room Oh, you're and... crazy. Oh, I knew you'd say that. But just you wait and see. There must be someone we can get. Mrs. King? Uh, Mrs. Harry King? Yes? Good evening, I am Lynn Belvedere. You're... You're who? I'm the party who answered your ad in the paper. Lynn Belvedere. But... But you can't be. Why not? Have you ever seen me before? Oh, no, no. Of course I haven't. Very well, then. Well, this is quite a shock. You see, we... Well, we advertised for a sitter and... Well, naturally thought... We thought you were a woman. In your letter... Your advertisement, it... madam, of which I have a copy, makes no mention of sex. Well, possibly not, but it was certainly implied. I need someone to help with the housework and sit with my children. Mrs. King, I happen to dislike all children intensely. But I assure you that I can readily attend to their necessary, though unpleasant wants. <sighs> Sorry. I've just had a long and very trying journey in the day coach. Uh, may I see my room? Your room? But but my husband isn't home yet. Uh, that, if I may say so, is a matter of complete indifference to me. <laughs> I take it you are not retaining my services to sit with him. But, but he's at the station. He, he's looking for you. I left the station 20 minutes ago. Well, he's expecting a woman. We, we just assume that you were a woman. You have made that painfully clear, Mrs. King. Now, may I please see my room? Why, well... Uh, I guess so. It, it's upstairs. Thank you. Hi, Mama. Boys, what are you doing still up? Now, go back to your room and go to sleep. Is he a babysitter? Gee whiz. Oh, um, uh, these are my sons, Mr. Belvedere. Larry and Tony, the uh, baby's asleep. Well, that's a blessing, isn't it? Mama, <laughs> oh, why is it a man? <laughs> Uh, they, they seem to be quite fascinated by you, Mr. Belvedere. The fascination, I assure you, is not mutual. <laughs> oh, uh, this is the room, Mr. Belvedere. We, well, we tried to fix it up as nicely as we could. <laughs> of course, since you're a mister and not a miss, well, uh, one or two things are obviously a little out of place. Flowers? Yes, I, I cut them myself this I'll afternoon. I'll just drop them here in the wastebasket. Uh, for my work, Mrs. King, I require an atmosphere of spotting simplicity. And may I ask what your profession is? Certainly. I am a genius. Oh. Oh, well, well... Good night, Mr. Belvedere. Good night, Mrs. King. Harry! Harry, is that you? You and your cockeyed classified ad. She never even got off the train. Well, darling... <laughs> oh, darling, I've got something to tell you. <laughs> While you were gone... So funny. <laughs> well, tell me. Uh, oh, I'm afraid to. You sock me. Oh, stop the comedy and tell me, Mrs. King... Oh, um, uh, yes. Uh, before I retire, uh, may I inquire what time you serve breakfast? Hmm? Uh, I, um, uh, about 7.30. Uh, thank you. Perhaps I should tell you now, 
I like fruit juice, coffee, and thinly sliced gluten bread toasted. I'll, um, I'll try to remember. Uh, thank you. Good night. Who in the heck was that? <laughs> that, darling, is Lynn Belvedere. Huh? Tracy, it's a man! Must you read your paper at the breakfast table? Huh? I always read paper at breakfast. Roddy, eat your cereal. Harry, please. What are we going to do about Mr. Belvedere? Very simple. As soon as he deigns to join us at breakfast, I'm going to kick him out. Right on his ear. Gee whiz, Pop. I think Mr. Belvedere's kind of cute. Me too. Besides, he says he's a genius. Well, I don't think he's cute. And genius or no genius, I'm going to see Mr. Belvedere right now. Oh, I'd better go up with you. Now, you boys stay right where you are and finish breakfast. Oh, uh, and help the baby with the cereal. Okay, Mom. Hiya, Robbie. How you doing with the cereal? Well, that I did go Robbie. He's grabbing a spoon, Larry. You better watch out. Oh, you wouldn't throw cereal at me, would you, Robbie? Why, that's baby stuff throwing cereal at me. <laughs> I warned you, Larry. I warned you. Robbie. Oh, gee whiz. Right in my hair. Mr. Belvedere, kindly open your door. Mr. Sound. Belvedere! Not a sound, Harry. He's probably still asleep. Well, we'll soon find out. Good morning. Oh, Harry, look! He's standing on his head. Good morning. You... you are standing on your head, aren't you? I am. Oh, oh, we're sorry to dash in on you like this, Mr. Belvedere, but we did knock. I don't doubt it, Mrs. King. When I practice my yoga, I'm completely out of this world. <laughs> I take it breakfast is ready. Now look here, you. When I talk to somebody, I want to look him in the eye, not in the foot. <laughs> well, say something. It's no use, dear. He's out of this world. He told you so. Come on, Harry. That's so silly. I never heard of such a thing. Standing on his head of all... <laughs> Here's your coffee, Mr. Belvedere. Thank you. Get back. Oh, Roddy, no. Now put down that spoon. Roddy, all over Mr. Belvedere's sleeve. Don't do that, little boy. <laughs> now, uh, look here, Belvedere. A joke is a joke, but this can't go on. Kindly be more precise, Mr. King. What can't go on? You're staying here, that's what. I'm perfectly willing to carry out my end of our agreement. I see no reason why you should default on yours. But it's impossible. You couldn't do the things we require. For example, could you... Could you bathe, Roddy? Mrs. King, for many years I have successfully bathed individuals of all ages and sexes, and I've never had any complaints. <laughs> Little boy, don't do that again. That's enough, Roddy. Now stop it. Mr. Belvedere, my uh, wife tells me you're a genius. That is correct. Well, if I'm not too inquisitive, do you mind telling me what form it takes? Your genius? I am, in my way, a philosopher. Oh, I see. You, you just sit and uh, think. Mr. King, if more people just sat and thought, the world might not be in the stinking mess that it is. <laughs> well, maybe you've got something there. And you can really handle children? Henry, I believe you mentioned only three children. Uh, Henry's the dog. He's a great Dane. Probably the only great Dane in the country who'd rather chew my shirts than chew a bone. I dislike dogs intensely, Mr. King, almost as much as I dislike children. And your children, if I may say so, have peculiarly repulsive habits and manners. <laughs> However, I assure you I can cope with them successfully if given a free hand. <laughs> Gesundheit. Uh, Tony, Larry, sit down and finish your breakfast. Casey, I, uh, 
I'm going to the office. So long, kids. See you tonight. Bye, Dad. Oh, uh, Casey, would you mind walking to the car with me? Oh, uh, excuse me, Mr. Belvedere. And where do you boys think you're going? We'll go to the car, too. You will remain seated. Huh? Sit down. Finish your breakfast and chew each mouthful 28 times. Why? Not 20, mind you, nor 26, but 28 times. As for your baby brother... Should we give the guy a whirl? Maybe for, no, for a day or two? Oh, I suppose so. At least the boys seem to like him. Roddy! What's happened to Roddy? Well, don't just stand there. He's been hurt. He's screaming. Larry! Tony, what happened to the baby? Roddy, look! Cereal! Roddy's got cereal all over his head. Yeah, bowl and all. Larry, if you told Roddy to dump his cereal on his head... I didn't I'll... tell him anything, Pop. I was chewing my food. Yeah, me too. Twenty-eight times. Mr. King... As you can observe by the condition of my face and clothing, your youngest son has been pelting me with cereal ever since I sat down to this grisly meal. Huh? Therefore, I decided to teach the child an object lesson. You dumped cereal on his head? I did precisely that, Mrs. King, and you will note that he didn't like it. I guarantee that he will never throw cereal at me or anyone else again, ever. <laughs> Mr. Belvedere, consider yourself hired. He's done that to me, too. You know, you've got something. I couldn't agree with you more, Mr. King. You might even say I've uh, got everything. Hiya, fellas. Hiya, Pop. Hey, look at us. Well, what goes with you two? Well, he says it relaxes you. Well, just be careful you don't relax so much you break your necks. We won't, Pop. Hi, baby. Everything under control? Hello, darling. Oh, Harry, he's terrific. He's got the kids out there standing on their heads. And they love him. They've been as good as gold all day. They what? He gave Roddy a bath and there wasn't a peep out of him. Well, I'll be... Hey, the dog, what's the matter with Henry? Is he sick? No, darling. But he must be. Look, he just woke in and lay down. Casey, that's the first time I've ever seen Henry walk. <laughs> Every other time, he's just galloped. He's not barking. No, darling. It seems that Mr. Belvedere used to be a dog trainer or something. Huh? And he had a long talk with Henry this morning. <laughs> Henry's been quiet as a mouse ever since. Isn't it wonderful? It's incredible. But there's just one thing, Henry, Harry. Mr. Belvedere, well, he's, he's sort of mysterious. How do you mean? Well... He locks himself in his room. I went up and listened, but I couldn't hear a sound. What do you suppose he does up there? He's so quiet. Well, maybe he stands on his head. That doesn't make much noise. Oh. Is he up there now? Oh, no. He's out taking a walk. Then why are we whispering? Oh, I forgot. He says he's going to go out for a walk every night before dinner. Harry, do you suppose it would be very unethical if we went it up It most certainly and... would. But let's go. No, it's the right key, Harry. Funny it doesn't work. Well, if it's the right key, it's got to work. Here, let me do it. You're wasting your oh. time, Mr. King. Oh. <laughs> uh, hello. Good evening. <laughs> Knowing human nature as I do, I suspected that you might try to snoop. This is a new lock on the door. But, but it can't be. I, I didn't order a locksmith. There was no occasion to, Mrs. King. I am an expert locksmith. <laughs> and now, if you'll excuse me, I will see you both later at dinner. 
Oh, oh uh, Harry, will you, um... <laughs> well, you'd better tell the boys to come in and wash. That won't be necessary, Mr. King. They're scrubbing their grimy little paws right now. <laughs> I don't know, Tacey. He may be all right, but let's face it, he is a screwball. Well, a little eccentric, maybe, but... Are you father? Father? Since when am I father? Pardon me, sir, but I wish you'd see if Tony and I are good and clean. Are we father? Mr. Belvedere says that cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, dear, need I say more? I guess he stays, Tacey. <laughs> After a brief intermission, we'll present Act Two of Sitting Pretty. What is that book you were chuckling over, Libby? Oh, Chicken Every Sunday. Oh. 20th Century Fox has just made a movie of it, and the picture was so funny, I wanted to read the book and laugh all over again. I think Dan Daly is great as the dreamer looking for easy street. And Celeste Holm makes such a practical wife. She loved the chance to play such a natural role. Life in Mother's boarding house provides plenty of human situations. I remember the scene in Chicken Every Sunday where uh, Celeste is washing dishes and Dan insists on taking over. <laughs> well, they had a good many retakes on that to get it just right. Celeste washed quite a pile of dishes, all told. And she was very pleased that the studio gave her Lux Flakes to do them. What could be more natural? Millions of women who care about their hands never use anything else for dishes. Lux Flakes are so mild and gentle, they don't redden or roughen hands as strong soaps often do. And yet it costs so little to use Lux Flakes for dishes three times a day, it's really easy on the budget. The tiny diamonds of Lux are so sheer, they practically melt into suds the instant water touches them. I've never seen such thick, rich suds. These tiny Lux diamonds are a real triumph of the world-famous Lever Laboratories. And the suds last so long, these wonderful diamonds actually go further. Ounce for ounce, they wash up to twice as many dishes as any of ten other leading soaps tested. They're thrifty. Here's our producer, William Keeling. Act two of Sitting Pretty, winner of Photoplay Magazine's Gold Medal Award. Starring Maureen O'Hara as Tacey, Clifton Webb as Lynn Belvedere, and Robert Young as Harry. <laughs> You just wouldn't recognize the King household anymore. Peace and serenity, like a halo, have settled over the little family. A blessing directly traceable to the gentleman in the spare bedroom, Mr. Lynn Belvedere. Now, on a wintry Sunday morning, Mr. Belvedere returns from a little visit downtown. Rounding the corner, he encounters the community gossip, Clarence Appleton. Why, it's Belvedere. Uh, good morning, Belvedere. You will kindly address me as Mr. Belvedere until I grant you permission to drop the title. A contingency which seems hardly likely, Mr. Appleton. Well, really, I, uh, I intended no offense. Uh, tell me, Mr. Belvedere, are you completely happy with the Harry Kings? Only an idiot is completely happy anywhere. <laughs> but uh, I understand those dear little boys are devoted to you and that Mrs. King considers you... Quite the treasure. Indeed. Oh, uh, my dear mother is very anxious to make your acquaintance, Mr. Belvedere. Perhaps you could drop in on your next afternoon off? I am not a servant, Mr. Appleton. My afternoons are always my own. Oh. Well, in that case, drop in any time for a glass of sherry. I dislike sherry as much as I deplore the habit of dropping in on people uninvited. But, Mr. Belvedere, I am inviting you. And I, sir, am declining. Good day. <laughs> got to be so particular, Tacey. I just thought we could surprise the kids with a snowman. If we're making a snowman, let's make it properly. 
Now, you finish the arms and leave the face to me. Okay, Mommy. We all know you were a great sculptress before I married you. Any face, even a snowman's, must have expression and character. Well, hurry up, or the kids will be home from Sunday school. Daisy, look. Uh, good morning, Mr. Belvedere. Good morning, good morning. Oh, I guess you left the house before we even got off. Yes, well, <laughs> cold enough for you? Mm, nippy, nippy, but it suits me. Well, how do you like our snowman? Mr. King, you should have let your wife do the face. I did the face. Oh, well, it'll soon melt. <laughs> Stacy, uh, what do you suppose he's got in that package? Oh, how do I know? I've given up wondering about anything he does or has. But it made a noise. I distinctly heard a sort of metallic ticking. So did I. If he's doing anything illegal up in that room, we could get into a lot of trouble. Harry, do you suppose if you climbed up on that tree and... Well, maybe crawled out on that limb. Hey, yeah, could... I could look right in his window. Tacey, go in the house. Well, why? Go in and watch the stairs. If he comes down, find some way to warn me. All right, but be careful. All I'm going to do is climb a tree. Can you see anything, Harry? Not yet, but I'm not high enough. Stop looking at me and watch for Mr. Belvedere. I am watching. I'll know what he's up to in just a minute now. Climbing trees, Mr. King, at your age. Huh? Oh, ah! Better come out, Mrs. King. Bring a roll of gauze, please, and some adhesive tape. Oh, ooh, take it easy, will you? That's my wrist. Trying to keep still. You're lucky that no bones are broken. I must say, that's a very professional bandage, Mr. Belvedere. There aren't many people who could do that. That's substantially what General Pershing told me during the First World War. You were a doctor, too? A bone specialist. Oh, no. Is there anything you haven't been? Yes, Mrs. King. I've never been an idler nor a parasite. Or have I ever climbed a tree to look into someone's bedroom? Now, Mr. King, how does your wrist feel? I guess I'll live. I hope it's better by tomorrow. I've got to go to Chicago. Indeed. Oh, oh I, I thought I told you, Mr. Belvedere. Yes, he, he has to go to Chicago on business. Mm, you'll have nothing to worry about, Mr. King. I shall endeavor to pinch hit for you at every available opportunity. <laughs> well, thanks. That'll be just... Tacey, am I hearing things? Something squeaked. Why, why, yes, I heard it too, like like a bird. That's precisely what you heard, the twittering of a bird. The cage is in the living room, Mrs. King. Where on earth did it come from? That was my package, which you and Mr. King stared at so pointedly a little while ago. I'm opposed to the practice of exchanging gifts at any time, but since you were gracious enough to give me three pairs of excellent woolen socks on the occasion of my birthday, I try to get something for your anniversary that would give pleasure to your entire family. In brief... A canary bird. Oh, how very kind of you. Thank you, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, he's beautiful. Does he sing? Not yet, but uh, I shall teach him. <laughs> hey, Tacey, go out and tell Bill to lay off that horn, will you? But, darling, you've got to catch a train, and if Bill and Edna are driving you to the station, Nobody's better... driving me to the station. I've just decided I'm not going to Chicago. Well, why not? I can't go. I can't leave you here alone with Belvedere. Alone with... Are you out of your mind? Well, you seem to find him very attractive, Tacey. I find the Grand Canyon attractive, too, but that doesn't mean that I'm in love with it. You're mad about him. Oh, I am insane with passion. Now, look, Tacey, I, I'm not suggesting that you and Belvedere will carry on while I'm gone, but... Oh, that's darn white of you. But you know how gossip starts, and, well, I just Look, thought... would you feel any better if I slept at Edna's house while you're gone? Well, yes. Yes, I would, definitely. The kids won't like it. Well, I'll break it to them gently when they get home from school. You, uh, sure you don't mind? Certainly I'll mind. But every night I'll go over to Edna's and Bill's. Now pick up your bags, darling, and beat it. Don't I get a kiss? No. 
I'm a one-man woman, and my heart belongs to Belvedere. Oh, for him. I'm coming, Bill. So long, honey. You should be very gratified, Mrs. King. Oh, oh, Mr. Belvedere. If you'll permit the observation, I believe your husband was actually jealous in his sophomoric fashion. Mr. Belvedere, don't you consider eavesdropping a bit unethical? Unethical, but uh, fascinating. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed your comparing me to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> now, there's rugged grandeur. You'll pardon me, Mrs. King. It's, it's time I gave Roddy his bath. and I've already telephoned for her. She'll be here in a moment and I... Larry, put that bottle down. Tony said he wanted a drink, Mr. Belvedere. A drink of gin? Can't you read, young man? The label on that bottle clearly says distilled London dry gin. Oh, oh, that. It really isn't gin, Mr. Belvedere. The regular water bottle got smashed. It's just ice water. When your mother arrives, she can drown him in ice water as far as I'm concerned. Until then, put the bottle down. Oh, are you sure you call the right number, Mr. Belvedere? Kindly credit me with enough intelligence not to lose my head in a crisis. If I'm not mistaken, and I never am, there's a car turning down the corner right now. It's all right, Tony, darling, it's all right. There, now, back in bed and go to sleep. You'll be fine in the morning. Gosh, Mama, thanks for coming. Oh, did you take his temperature, Mr. Belvedere? No, I'm satisfied that he simply has a bellyache. <laughs> no more, no less. Oh, well, he feels nice and cool. I assure you, I could have handled this situation perfectly well myself, only the child expressed a maudlin desire for his mother. Well, I'm glad you did, Tony. Are you going to sleep here, Mom? No, dear. I'm going right back to Auntie Edna's. Oh, and by the way, Dopey, the next time you find a package of chewing gum, be sure it is chewing gum. Good night, darling. I'm sure he'll go right to sleep, Mr. Belvedere. Whereas I should be plagued with insomnia. I also hope you'll forgive my appearance. I don't usually rush through the streets in the middle of the night in a bathrobe and... Whoever could that be? If you go to the door, you need not conjecture. Oh. Mr. Appleton. Please, pardon the intrusion, Mrs. King, but I noticed all the lights go on, and knowing your husband is away, I felt constrained to dash over to see if anything was wrong. No, thank you, Mr. Appleton. Everything is fine. Oh, well, just a neighborly call, you might say, to offer my services if needed. <laughs> I can see that they're not. And how did you know our lights had gone on? Uh, did you borrow your mother's binoculars, or were you perhaps looking for pollen on your iris? Put, put down that bottle, Mr. Belvedere. I shall, Mr. Appleton. I merely intend to have a drink. Well, well, I can see that I'm not needed here. Your vision is remarkably accurate evil-minded little worm. Mrs. King, do you know anyone who has a beehive? A good swarm of bees could ruin his iris. Mm, I know. But how could you get them to swarm? Oh, 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 now, don't tell me you were also a beekeeper. That is correct. 
Well, good night, Mrs. King. Good night, Mr. Belvedere. I simply had to tell you, Horatio, as Harry King's employer, as the man he works for, you simply well, must... Well, go on, Clarence. What else? Isn't that enough? There I was, calling on an errand of mercy. Belvedere in his pajamas and Tacey King in... in... a negligee, cavorting about and guzzling gin. This is awful. The wife of my own employee. Well, I'm sending for Harry King at once. Oh, I, uh... I don't suppose you let this get around, Clarence. You haven't told anyone else. Well, uh, hardly anyone, Horatio. Drunk. Three o'clock in the morning. Miss Adams, take a telegram to Harry King. Now, if you'll just hold that pose, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, you're not getting bored, are you, Edna? Bored? I'm having a wonderful time. But I do have to run along. You may not have known it, Mr. Belvedere, but Tacey used to be quite a sculptress. Hmm, it's possible. And I think it's very sweet of you to pose like this and give her a chance to practice. My motives, Mrs. Philby, are not entirely unselfish. Someday, they will need a bust of me in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> the only virtue you lack, Mr. Belvedere, is modesty. I do not consider that a virtue. Oh, I do. Harry is very modest. Your husband has a great deal to be modest about. Don't <laughs> <laughs> let him get you down, sweetie. See you at the house tonight, huh? As usual, right after dinner. Goodbye, Mr. Belvedere. Uh, thank you for going. <laughs> now perhaps we can get something accomplished. I doubt it. It's your jaw, Mr. Belvedere. Your jaw, it, oh, it just isn't right. My jaw is perfect. Come here and I'll demonstrate. Now, if you if you place your fingertips at the base of my jaw... Like, like this? A little higher. That's it. There we are. Now, feel how the orbicularis oris operates. Now, over here, at the jawbone. Well, can't you feel it? Oh, yes, yes. Well, well, this is a cozy little scene. Harry! Why, darling, what a wonderful surprise. I didn't expect you till Thursday. It's pretty obvious you didn't. Would you mind telling me just what you two were doing? I was permitting your wife to massage my larynx. And I might add, Mr. King, that your greeting to Mrs. King is scarcely cordial. I'll greet my wife any way I like. Harry! I came back from Chicago because Mr. Hammond sent for me. I just came from his office with my head so full of gossip that I don't know where Gossip? I... What gossip? About you and Belvedere. Now, look here, Tacey. Stop raising your voice. I'll raise the roof if I want to. Tacey, look, I, uh, I'm willing to believe that all these rumors about a drunken orgy with Belvedere are, are, are somewhat garbled, but... So I... that's it. The fine hand of Clarence Appleton. But my gosh, Tacey, just now when I came into the house, you were practically holding Belvedere in your arms. She was merely feeling my bone structure. You shut up and listen. <laughs> I am listening. All I can hear is a typical suburban husband reacting in a typically stupid and stuffy manner to a typical tempest in a teapot. He's right. And as for that drunken orgy, Tony got us all up in the middle of the night with a stomach ache. I dashed over from Edna's and I wasn't in the house ten minutes when that horrible little Mr. Appleton came snooping around. Oh, well, I uh, imagined it was something like that. <laughs> Look, um, I'll admit it's all pretty silly, but... Uh... Well, but what? Well, I was just thinking that perhaps it might be simpler all around if, if Mr. Belvedere sought employment elsewhere. I see. To satisfy malicious gossips like your dear boss and Clarence Appleton, you want us to, to kick Mr. Belvedere out? In a word, yes. And that is your final decision, Mr. King? Yes. I'm sorry, but that's final. No, Daddy, no! Oh, hi, kids. Please let him stay, please! Please, Father, I'll do anything you want, only please don't send Mr. Belvedere away. That's enough of that. Your father's not the type to be swayed by sentimental pleading. Don't let him go, Father, please! We love Mr. Belvedere. Don't go, Uncle Lynn. 
little boy. Don't ever again, as long as you live, dare to call me uncle. <laughs> By no stretch of the imagination could I possibly be a relative of yours. My name is Mr. Belvedere. Is that clear? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's better. <laughs> what the heck's the matter with Roddy? Children are psychic, Mr. King. They can sense impending disaster. Okay, okay. I know when I'm licked. You can stay. Roddy, stop crying. And listen, it's a bird. He's singing. You, uh, sent for me, Mr. Hammond? Yes, Harry, I did. Sit down, Harry, sit down. Harry, how long is it since you returned from Chicago? Oh, about a month, Mr. Hammond. A month. Harry, the firm of Horatio J. Hammond and Associates has a spotless name in this community. Absolutely spotless. Yes, I'm sure it has. And as I told you about a month ago, I consider it mandatory for all connected with this firm and their wives never to incur the slightest gossip of a scandalous nature. Oh, now, wait a minute. If you're still harping about those stupid rumors... I do not harp. Harry, where was your wife last night? Now, look here, Mr. Hammond. This has gone far enough. I agree with you. Last night, your wife and Mr. Belvedere were seen together at the Crystal Cafe. They were dancing the Roomba. That's ridiculous. Last night, Tacey and Edna Philby attended a lecture at the women's club. You were with your wife? No, I wasn't. I, I was tired and I went to bed early. I don't doubt that Tacey might have attended the lecture. But I know that after the lecture, she was dancing the Roomba with Mr. Belvedere at the Crystal Cafe. I saw them there myself. So did my wife, Mrs. Hammond. So did Clarence Appleton and his mother. Now for the details. Oh, it hurts me, Harry. It hurts me deeply to tell you this. Harry, we're in the kitchen, darling. Mr. Belvedere is make the, making the most delicious salad. I'm glad he's here. What I've got to say is for both of you. Tacey, why didn't you tell me you were out dancing with this man last night? Now, what have you heard? Answer my question. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I tried to tell you when I got home, but you were so sleepy and disagreeable you wouldn't listen. Then, then, then why didn't you tell me this morning at breakfast? I can be sleepy and disagreeable, too. Mr. King, our meeting last night was purely coincidental, but uh, most enjoyable. Then you admit it. Certainly. Moreover, he rumbers like a saint. I don't care if he dances like Arthur Murray. <laughs> you may be interested to know, Mr. King, I taught Arthur Murray. <laughs> Your conduct is making me the laughingstock of Hummingbird Hill. Why, Mr. Hammond said, stop shredding that lettuce. Life must go on, Mr. King. Well, it's not going on with you in this house. Harry, I think you'd better pull yourself together. After the lecture last night, Edna and I went to the Crystal Cafe for a cup of coffee. It just happened that Mr. Belvedere was there. Go on, Tacey. He was kind enough to dance with me. Then we each had a cocktail. We went Dutch, Mr. King. I have neither the means nor the presumption to buy cocktails for other men's wives. So suppose you apologize to both of us now for this Apologize? Absurd... I should apologize because of your indiscretions? Very well, Harry. Until you come to your senses and stop letting Mr. Hammond run our lives, I'm going to take Roddy and go home to Mother. Go right ahead. It's perfectly all right with me. Oh, Harry. It would be difficult to tell which of you is behaving more foolishly, but uh, I think you have a slight edge, Mr. King. You keep out of this. <laughs> well, I thought you were going home to Mother. Very well, if that's the way you feel about it. Satisfied, Mr. Belvedere? You've just smashed my home. Stupidity never gives me satisfaction, Mr. King. Your wife is right. You owe her an abject apology. I've half a mind to punch you right on the nose. It takes half a mind to resort to such measures. Why, you... you... Oh, my hand, my hand. I believe you've slid at the door, Mr. King. I neglected to tell you that in my youth, I was quite expert in the art of fisticuffs. Get out of here! 
Yes, Mr. King, yes. I think perhaps it's time I left. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Before we bring you Act Three of Sitting Pretty... I'd like to have you meet our special guest, Helen Westcott, an ambitious young player who spends her free time as well as her working hours on the 20th Century Fox lot. How about that, Helen? I just can't keep away, Mr. Keeley. I get a real thrill out of watching the stars work. Then if you saw a letter to three wives being filmed, you had a chance to watch three stars at once. Yes, I did. Linda Darnell is wonderful, the perfect glamour girl. And I think Ann Southern is absolutely right for a smart, successful career wife. Jean Crane has the most sympathetic role, perhaps, as a young wife who doesn't know how to live up to the country club crowd. It was exciting watching those big country club dad scenes in A Letter to Three Wives. But they worked on them so long, I felt sorry for Jean. She said her nylon stood up better than she did under the strain of so much dancing. I'm sure Lux Flakes had something to do with that, Helen. Oh, you're right, Mr. Kennedy. The wardrobe girl told me it's a rule of the studio always to use Lux Flakes for stockings, just as they do for everything washable. These tiny diamonds of Lux are a real economy. Scores of strain tests on all kinds of stockings prove it. Washing stockings with strong soap or rubbing with cake soap make runs come quickly. But with Lux Flakes, even sheer nylons last twice as long. I do believe that's true, Mr. Kennedy. I'm devoted to Lux Flakes myself. Well, then you've probably noticed how much faster these tiny diamonds of Lux dissolve. They bubble up into suds the instant water touches them. Make richer suds, too, that last and last. They're such perfect care for stockings, it's no wonder 90% of the makers of stockings recommend these tiny diamonds of Lux. Thank you for coming tonight, Helen Westcott. Thank you. Back now to our producer, William Keeley. The curtain rises on the third act of Sitting Pretty. The Photoplay Magazine Gold Medal Award winner, starring Clifton Webb as Lynn Belvedere, Robert Young as Harry, and Maureen O'Hara as Tacey. For ten days now, Hummingbird Hill has had plenty to talk about. Tacey has taken the baby and rushed off to her mother's. Mr. Belvedere has mysteriously disappeared. And Harry is struggling unhappily to keep together what remains of his home. But now, something akin to an atom bomb has suddenly struck the community. A new novel has appeared in all the bookstores, and the critics are raving about it. Unknown author writes brilliant satire of life in the suburbs. Sensational new novel hailed as best in years. First and second printing sold out entire country clamoring for copies. And what has this book to do with Hummingbird Hill? Plenty. It's all about Hummingbird Hill and the people who live there. And the author, of course, is none other than Lynn Belvedere. For certain readers, the novel holds a particular and dismaying interest. People like Clarence Appleton. Mother, mother, have you read the second chapter? It's all about me and about you, too. Do you see what he calls us? He calls... Mother, mother, speak to me. It's Clarence. It's your boy, Clarence. Mother, mother! And then there are others, like Horatio J. Hannon. It's slander, that's what it is. Get Harry King in here right away. Bring me every book we have on libel laws. Why, I'll sue to the highest court in the country. The whole town would sue. He 
made fools of every one of us. Yes, Lynn Belvedere has used Hummingbird Hill as the background for a wonderfully witty book. And Hummingbird Hill is speedy. Well, except a few residents, such as Edna Philby and her husband, Bill. Tell is she coming to the phone? Well, what if we up? What's the matter? Can't they find Tacey? Hello, Tacey. Hello, Bill. Oh, Tacey, how are things at home? just been fired. But why? For harboring Belvedere under his roof. Hey, tell her about me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when Bill tried to stand up for Harry, old man Hammond fired Bill, too. Oh, my gosh. And you know what they're going to do this afternoon? Some movie company's going to make a newsreel right at your house. A newsreel? Uh-huh. They're bringing Belvedere back to get some intimate shots of the master at the scene of his triumph. Edna, put Harry on the phone. I, I've just got to speak to Harry. Well, I'm sorry, Tacey, but uh, we don't know where Harry is. Well, what's happened to him? Probably nothing. He's probably just out somewhere looking for a nice, soft shoulder to cry on. Bill says that he... Tacey! Hello! Well, the part about the nice, soft shoulder must have worked, Bill. Ten to one, Tacey takes the first plane home. What's the matter with you policemen? We're trying to make a newsreel in this house. Can't you keep that mob quiet out there? We're doing our best, Mr. Billingsley. There must be 2,000 people out here. Half of them want his autograph and half of them want to kill him. Exactly the type of reaction I anticipated. Well, I, I guess we're ready to shoot, Mr. Belvedere. Now, I'll be behind the camera, and I'm going to ask you a few questions. So just be perfectly relaxed, and I'll... Young man, I need no instructions. I have directed many pictures. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. All right, boys. Quiet. Quiet, quiet, please. Roll them. Now, Mr. Belvedere, tell us. How did you write this book? I wrote it with a quill. Oh, that's it. That's very important. Who is that? Well, what's that? You're not supposed to let anybody here. Officer, I live here. I guess I can go into my own house. I don't know, lady. Hey, Chief, she says she lives here. Let her in, then. Oh, you're Mrs. King, eh? I most certainly am, and if you try to stop me, I'll sue the police department. You might as well, lady. Everybody else in town has got a lawsuit. Let her through, Al. Darlings. Oh, I've missed you so much. Where's Daddy, Mom? Oh, I left him with Auntie Edna. Oh, it's so good to see you. Where's Daddy? He's inside, Mom. You're letting him watch the movie. Well, we're going to watch, too. Come on. Mr. Belvedere, critics throughout the country have unanimously hailed your novel as a masterpiece of sheer genius. That is correct. Well, uh... <laughs> How do you feel about it? I feel they were quite conservative. Quiet over there. We're trying... Cut, cut. That must be Mrs. King. It certainly is. Oh, Tacey. Gosh, I'm glad to see you. Oh, I had to come back, darling. I came the minute I heard you were in trouble. Don't worry. It'll all work out all right. I... I've been such a dope, Tacey. You have indeed. But there's no need to be emotional, Mrs. King. He won't starve. Oh, Mr. Belvedere... I don't quite know whether to congratulate you or to... to Strike me with a baseball bat. <laughs> well, 
Yes. Mm. It's a moot point. Mr. Belvedere, please, we haven't finished shooting. You are mistaking a man. We have. Now, <laughs> run along and take your little helpers with you. Edna, is that you? Oh, well, come on in. Robbie wants his mama, Tacey. I'm sorry, but I thought I'd better bring him over. Come on upstairs, Edna. Let's get out of this shambles. Yeah, go ahead, dear. I'll be up as soon as I get rid of this gang. Look, fellas, enough's enough. Get all these people and cameras out of here, will you? Okay, boys, wrap it up. Just one of the penalties of fame, Mr. King. Well, I'm not famous. You will be. My book has made you immortal. Hey, you can't go in there. I am Horatio J. Hammond, and I'll go anywhere I please. Where is this Belvedere person? Oh, oh, there you are. Don't you take your hat off when you crash somebody's house. Don't you talk to me like I'll that. I'll talk to you any way I like. You fired me, remember? Take off your hat. All right, it's off. Now then, Mr. Belvedere, it gives me the greatest possible pleasure to serve you personally with this summons. Summons? Well, well, how interesting. I am suing you for one million dollars for libel. Splendid. That's a good round sum. I'm going to sue you too. And me. And I, Mr. Taylor. My mother and I are going to sue for another million dollars. In addition, we shall see that you are run out of town. Excellent, Mr. Appleton. Such notoriety will cause the sale of my book to soar even higher, if that is possible. Mr. King, Mr. Philby, would you two young men be interested in acting as my attorneys in these threatened suits? Are you serious? Mr. King, I never jest about a million dollars. Money is the root of all evil, and I have the greatest possible respect for it. <laughs> okay, Mr. Belvedere, we'll be very happy to defend you. I'll say we will. The law firm of Philby and King will be open tomorrow morning. And they'll have their work cut out for them because we intend to sue not only you, but everybody who supplied you with this libelous information. Excellent idea, Mr. Hammond. You should always go to the source. I intend to. Has it occurred to any of you gentlemen who that source might be? Who is the person who knows all about everyone in Hummingbird Hill? Who is the one that for years has made a repulsive habit of snooping and gossiping about his neighbors? Who is it among us, for example, who knows all our little peccadilloes with girls in florist shops? The girl was merely delivering flowers to that motel. And they were not orange blossoms, Mr. Taylor, were they? And you, Mr. McPherson? Why, you have caricatured me in this book as a drinking man. It is not I who counts the empty bottles in your trash can, Mr. McPherson. Just one little moment. Are you insinuating that I... I let the chips fall where they may, Mr. Appleton. But I am not and the And Mr. One... Hammond... Who is it that takes a habit of reading his neighbor's mail? That you mail. Oh, this is outrageous. Are you suggesting that I have been your, your collaborator? Don't be so presumptuous. Let me put it in terms that even you will understand. You, Mr. Appleton, have spread the pollen. I have reaped the harvest. But, but, uh, but this is fantastic. I have been more grossly maligned in this book than, than anyone. It is only poetic justice that a stool pigeon should be roasted. So... So you were the one Appleton. No, no, Horatio, let us not be hasty now. Why, are you little no, weasel? No, Horatio, no! Let me alone! Mother! Mother, help! Mama! More toast, Harry? Coffee? Thanks, Daisy. Hey, take a look at this. They've got Clarence Appleton's picture in the paper. <laughs> Boy, what a shiner. <laughs> I bet it nearly killed him when Mr. Hammond went over and trampled down his iris bed. <laughs> Well, uh, how would you like to go celebrating tonight? Hmm, love to. Would you care to take me dancing? Dancing? Remember, I uh, don't dance as well as Mr. Belvedere. No, dear, but you're much prettier. Uh-oh, wait a minute. We can't go anywhere. Who'll sit with the kids? I will. Mr. Belvedere! The mere fact that I have been catapulted into fame does not blind me to the obligation I undertook here. Mr. Belvedere, you're an amazing man. Just what are your plans for the future? My dear Mrs. King... This book of mine is only the first volume of a trilogy. I estimate the other two volumes will take me at least two years more. And you, uh, you're going to write them here? Posterity will demand that the entire masterpiece be written under the same roof. 
Your house will become a shrine, Mr. King. I'm surprised that you even want to stay. It can't be very convenient. You claim you don't even like children. Uh, that is correct. Now, if you'll excuse me. Oh, uh, Mr. Belvedere. Yes? I think it's only fair to tell you that before long we're, uh, well, we're expecting another child. Then you'll find me of great service, Mrs. King. <laughs> I was also an obstetrician. <laughs> stars will return for their curtain calls in a moment. All aboard for London, Paris, Cairo, Honolulu. But hurry, it's the chance of a lifetime. Don't miss the boat in Lever's sensational $50,000 travel contest. You may win the most wonderful vacation you'll ever have in your life. Just imagine. First prize is a round-the-world tour for two. All travel expenses paid, plus $1,000 pocket money and $700 for new clothes. Or you can have $10,000 in cash. And that's not all. Fifteen wonderful second prizes, too. Each and all travel expense trip to Europe. Or $2,500 in cash. Besides all that, there are 400 additional cash prizes, each a crisp new $10 bill. If you win the first prize, you travel in luxury for 101 days. The best accommodations everywhere. All trips are arranged by Thomas Cook and Son, world-famous travel agents. Get in on this exciting contest tonight. Here's all you do. Just finish this statement in 25 words or less. I like the large size box of Lux Flakes because... Send each entry with a box top from the large size Lux Flakes to Lever Tour the World Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Follow complete rules on the entry blank you can get at your store. Get your entry in this week, sure. This is our last announcement on the Lux Radio Theater. Mail entry to Lever... Tour of the World Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Only residents of continental United States, Alaska, and Hawaii are eligible. We return you now to William Keeley. We know now why Sitting Pretty was picked as the favorite film of the year. And here are three of the reasons. Robert Young, Maureen O'Hara, and Clifton Witt. We'd all like to tell the audience how pleased we are by the selection of Sitting Pretty. And I think Clifton Webb deserves a special credit for his portrayal of Mr. Belvedere, which has won him a nomination for the Academy Award. Thank you, Bob. And now, of course, 20th Century Fox has starred Clifton in a sequel to Sitting Pretty. The new film is... Mr. Belvedere Goes to College. Imagine me in college, the all-American tackle of 1949. <laughs> there you go, then. The magnificent Clifton Webb alongside Robert Young and Maureen O'Hara in Sitting Pretty, courtesy of the Lux Radio Theatre. On to the competition in which you could win the Universal Monsters Blu-ray box set. Who wouldn't want that? If you don't own these movies, then this is an instant collection 
for you. And if you do own them on DVD or something, then this is an upgrade to high definition. All you have to do to enter is record a Christmas greeting for my Christmas special and send it to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com. It can be as simple or as complicated as you like. Just a Christmas greeting for everyone out there. And yes, if you've already sent one in, then you're automatically entered. So get recording and send those in. You have until Monday the 8th of December to do so. Well, that's it from me. I'll be back with you next week. Until then, take very good care of yourselves. Bye for now. You begin to bore me. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.